0: To the Two R One podcast, where we study the Bible together as a married couple. I'm Taylor. I'm Elisa. And it's been a while. We're glad you're back with us. Uh, We are broadcasting from our home base, our home tonight in our dining room. Uh, No special guest tonight, but we're just going to be switching gears into Jeremiah 47. The title is "How Much." So uh, we hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, A little different feel tonight, but uh, sit back and enjoy the ride. We'll see you in just a bit. I was all excited. I had my sweet tea in here in a mason jar. I was like, this is awesome. And then my mouth got severely dry from drinking (laughs) sweet tea. So I had to switch to water. Um, I was trying to kind of, you know, get into the, the feel of the broadcasting from home. But, uh, anyway, sweet tea, just, just note for all you guys out there. It's not good for it's not really a thirst quencher. It's It's not. Um, Anyway, so it's been a while, we're, we're glad you guys are back uh, with us, we're glad we're, we're able to, to do one, it's been a while, but everybody knows, uh, as our daughter's been saying, the world is on pause right now, mm-hmm. so um, we're going to get into that. Uh, we've been in Acts in recent podcasts, uh, but this time our family has been studying at home together in the mornings, and it seems like there's been a common thread uh, with everybody's, you know, study guides and things that they're we're reading, we're all over
1: the place, we're, but it still is linked.
0: Yeah, it's all together. And even my mom came this morning and studied with us, and uh, hers was similar. So we thought, well, we'll bring that into the podcast. So we're going to be in Jeremiah chapter forty-seven. It's just a short chapter here, seven verses. But uh, packs a big punch. So, Elisa, if you want to read for us.
1: All right. The word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah the prophet concerning the Philistines before Pharaoh struck down Gaza. Gaza. Thus says the Lord, Behold, waters are rising out of the north and shall become an overflowing torrent. They shall overflow the land and all that fills it, the city and those who dwell in it. Men shall cry out, and every inhabitant of the land shall wail. At the noise of the stamping of the hoofs of his stallions, at the rushing of his chariots, at the rumbling of their wheels, the fathers look not back to their children, so feeble are their hands because of the day that is coming to destroy all the Philistines, to cut off from Tyre and Sidon every helper that remains, for the Lord is destroying the Philistines, the remnant of the coastland of Kaftor. Baldness has come upon Gaza, Ashkelon. Ashkelon has perished. A remnant of their valley, how long will you gash yourselves? Ah, uh, sword of the Lord, how long till you are quiet? Put yourself into your scabbard, rest and be still. How can it be quiet when the Lord has given it a charge? Against Ashkelon and against the seashore, he has appointed it.
0: Amen. Father, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for saving us, Lord. Thank you that uh, you are in control. You alone control um the, the things of the earth, Lord. You alone control the hearts of, of men, and, and um, we have a choice, but somehow you divinely open the eyes and the hearts of men to see your truth, Lord. And I ask you tonight, Father, to open our eyes as, as uh, individuals in this podcast, Father, and those people that may be listening, Father, I pray that your truth would go out and it would accomplish great things, Father, that it would bring revelation and uh, repentance and salvation to those who are listening, Father. I pray that you take us deeper um, because now is the time for us to be built up in our faith more than ever. And uh, Father, we believe that these things will continue to point us to you as it gets closer to your return. And Father, I pray that we would respond in a way um, that shows our seriousness about the times that we're living in and, and respond in a way that glorifies you. Father, I pray that you would just Give us ears to hear your voice tonight, Father, because I believe and we believe that you are speaking. I pray that you would just help us to hear your voice and to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Amen.
0: So just seven little verses here, but I've been reading through Jeremiah, and it was nothing crazy, awesome story about why I started going through Jeremiah. I just was like, you know, it's been a while since I've read Jeremiah. I'm going to start reading it again. And that's been going on now for a few months I've been going through Jeremiah, and constantly in the past few months, I've been having the thought of, wow, this sounds a lot like America. This sounds a lot like America. And, um, Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. Some of, some of us have heard that before. Um, and when people say that, and then I read Jeremiah, I'm like, well, that's pretty much all the prophets in some ways. I mean, all the prophets had just as tough of a task, bringing a hard message to the people as Jeremiah did. Mm -hmm. Um, Jeremiah was treated poorly for it, but some prophets were killed for it. And um, so while he's called the weeping prophet, there's just basically the same thing that happened to him happened to all the other ones. Um, The children of Israel, God's people have always had a hard time hearing a hard message from God. Um, And it starts when you read Jeremiah, it just is repetitive It's constantly God warning his people, come back to me, come back to me, quit worshiping um, false gods and doing the things the way everyone else does them, come back to me. They don't listen, and then God has to bring judgment upon the people, and then Jeremiah continually is proven right. So that is what has been happening in Jeremiah all the way up until this chapter. Um, In the previous couple chapters, Uh, you think there's going to be a turnaround because some bad things have come to the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, and the people seek Jeremiah out, and they tell him, please pray to God. They say, please pray to your God, even though these are Hebrew Jewish people talking to him. They say, please pray to your God that we may know what he says and do what he asks or do his will. So then Jeremiah says, I will pray to our God He's reminding them, mm-hmm. that, you know, it's not just my God, He's our God. I'll pray to our God and I'll let you know what He says. So He says He prays. Ten days later, He gets an answer from God, which I thought that was kind of cool. Like even prophets back then didn't just like hear immediately sometimes, you know. I mean, it was ten days later before He heard a word from the Lord. He brought it to the people. It was a hard word. Basically, God told the people, do not escape into Egypt to try and escape Um Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. Don't don't try to escape in Egypt. Stay here as the remnant of Israel in Israel in the promised land, and I will build you up and I will not tear you down. If you move to Egypt to try and escape out of fear, then I will tear you down and pluck you up out of the ground. And then they get mad and call Jeremiah a liar and say that he's in cahoots with Nebuchadnezzar, and they just accuse him of lying. And then they say, you know what? Heck with you. We're going to go to Egypt anyway. So...
1: So they ask for his advice. (laughs) They say, let us know what God says and we'll do whatever it is. And then Jeremiah reports back to him. I mean, it's almost like if he really was trying to deceive them, he wouldn't have taken 10 days to do it,
0: you know? (laughs) Right.
1: But they still did not like what they heard. They didn't like the truth.
0: They didn't like it. And...
1: And they did what they were going to do, anyways.
0: And even. I don't
1: know anybody like that.
0: <laughs> I mean, it just shows you. It's, it's. When the truth is lines up with what you want to hear, mm-hmm. then you're more likely to believe it. But when the truth goes against what you want or what you want to hear, that's when there's a crisis of belief. And that's mm-hmm. when. And the people. And then I'm sure some mob mentality set in. Oh, you know, yeah. There's probably some. You know, sweet old ladies in the crowd that were like, I think we should listen to Jeremiah. And then the leader, the young male leaders are probably like, we're going to Egypt. And so they basically rebelled against the word of the Lord, rebelled against what Jeremiah had said. They go to Egypt. So we we talked about that yesterday in our mo- our morning meeting at our house, our Bible study with, as a family. And I started thinking about how in the Old Testament, um, Egypt is a symbol of the world. It's a symbol of carnality, the world and the world's systems and the world's beliefs and the world's ways. Um, cause when we read the new, the old Testament as new Testament believers in Jesus, the old Testament takes on a different life than just a story of the past of Israel. It takes on instructional purposes and it takes on a spiritual connotation so that God used real world things in the Old Testament to to speak real to speak spiritual truths in the New Testament, and Jesus shows us that when He teaches the Old Testament.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so I'm constantly trying to look at it from a spiritual perspective. So I looked at that story yesterday, and I thought, okay, you know, the world or, or the children of Israel, people, God's people, were scared of an attack, so they took refuge in Egypt, which is a symbol of the world, So they went, they looked to the world to solve the problem and to protect mm-hmm. them, which we know is many, many Christian people. Um, so then fast forward to this scripture today. So um,
1: Egypt is a symbol for the world Egypt throughout the whole, the entire Old Testament.
0: Yes. And it's kind of, um, even carries into the New Testament uh-huh. too, um, So then we come into this chapter, chapter 47, and it brings, this is a prophecy about the destruction of the Philistines or Philistia. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And uh, you heard the term Gaza in here. This is modern day Palestine, which the Greek word for um, the Philistines was like, sounded like Palestine. So that's where, that's really the only thing that remains beside these stories is The only thing that remains of the Philistine culture is the word um, Palestine, which is, you know, you have modern-day Palestine, the Gaza Strip, and all of that. So that's the area that we're talking about. It's a small area, small country, yet they were very mighty. Um, And they were were known for their warring and for their uh, ironworks. They built um, tons of military weaponry through iron and through their advanced ironworks to the point where the the armies of ancient Israel looked to them to buy arms in, in the mm-hmm. um Old Testament. Uh, iron was a superior metal to the brass works or the bronze works of uh Israel at that time. It was a stronger metal. They were also in the in the research that I did, the Philistines were known for partying and for like drinking. Uh, I kind of get a picture of like a Viking, you know, hall room where everybody's just like kicking over tables and drinking beer. Um, archaeologists have found tons of, you know, um, beer making facilities and beer mugs. And that was one of, that was the two things they were known for was drinking and war and their weapons. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't go very good together. <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> or <But> it does. <laughs> it went good for a while yeah. for them. But so I have heard my pastor, Mickey, who's been on the podcast before, talk about how the Philistines are a symbol in the old Testament of our flesh, and we know how. Um, again, there's symbols that in the Old Testament that we take spiritual truths from. If mm-hmm. Egypt is the world and the ways of the world, the other enemy that we are constantly contending with in this life is our flesh. The way, the desire, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Um, the three things that the devil and the tempter uses to try and draw us away to get us to sin against God, to get us to walk away from our faith. So the Philistines represent the flesh, all right, the constant battle that that we are fighting and and being tempted by, and then Egypt being the world. So keep that in mind as we go through the scripture. It took a while to get that out, but that's what I wanted to just preface everything with. Um, So I'm going to be reading out of the CJB. It says, This word of Adonai came to Jeremiah the prophet concerning the Philistines before Pharaoh attacked Gaza. Here's what Adonai says. Water is rising out of the north. It will become a flooding stream, flooding the land and all that is in it, the city and its inhabitants. The people are crying out in alarm. Everyone in the land is weeping at the thunderous pound of his stallion's hooves and at his rattling chariots' rumbling wheels. So they are, this is kind of speaking as the attack is happening, that the people, even the men, will be crying in the streets crying like babies. This is a warring people that's always conquered, never really had to worry about, certainly not be worried about being destroyed. But all of a sudden, a great army, possibly a collection of armies. We don't know exactly when this happened. We don't know exactly when Egypt attacked Philistine or Philistia, but we know that it happened. And a lot of times uh, in the research that that I've done, it says that a um, great waters or a flooding stream can mean a multitude. It can mean more. It could have been more than just Egypt that came at them. So, Egypt is coming to destroy them. The people are crying out in alarm. Then it says, "Fathers fail to turn back for their children, because their hands instead their hands hang limp, because the day has come for destroying all the Philistines for cutting off Tyre and Sidon." from the last of their allies, for Adonai is destroying the Philistines, the remnant from the island of Crafter. I feel like I've been speaking a lot, babe. You you take a stab at something.
1: I don't, this is all you. I I haven't done all this historical research. (laughs) I'm learning.
0: All right. So uh, then we get into uh, a couple of names of the Philistine cities. We have Gaza, and it says Gaza is shaved bald, verse 5. Ashkelon reduced to silence. And this is really the, um, the verse that spoke to me right here. It says, Those of you who remain in their valley, how long will you go on gashing yourselves? So if Egypt is the world, the Philistines are the flesh, in this scripture, by, by those two symbols, that would be the world is attacking the flesh. So this is how I see it. Now, I'm not you know, some great uh, biblical historian and, and prophecy expert. So my concentration in the Scripture is not so much on the historical account of what's taking place. I'm seeing it from a spiritual perspective as to what God may be saying to me in 2020 and what God may be saying to us as a people, as an American people, as a world, as the human race right now. So this is what I got from it. God is, no doubt in my mind, on the move. And if people don't believe that, then that's completely on them. One of the things that I've seen that has been really been worrying me, and me and Elisa talked about this last night, I feel like all the Christian people see what's happening in society and in the world with the coronavirus, they see it as, oh my gosh, God is up to something. There's no other explanation. God said that He was going to do these types of things, allow these types of things to happen as we get close to the end. And we see it, and we're just like blown away. We're just in awe. But I, I thought this would be an evangelical type scenario where we're like, okay, we could explain to people that don't believe, look, the Bible said this is going to happen. Look, it's happening. But I haven't seen that. What I've seen is people are like, oh, well, you know, this is a human problem. Um, we're going to find a human solution. Um, yes, things are bad, but we're going to figure it out. We're going to get through it. We're going to make, you know, and I'm not saying that those things are bad, but a lot of those conversations seem to be taking place outside of, you um, God what taking into account what God is doing and what God is trying to show us because if in my opinion if we come out of the coronavirus not learning any kind of lesson from God it's all been null and it's all been in vain
1: I think it's still too soon you know I, I would be interested to see how these conversations are happening in Italy and places where it really has gotten really bad or is there an evangelical movement happening there I think for us it's still so new and if you don't if you don't know somebody directly it's happened to or at least it's across the street from you or real close, it doesn't seem real yet. And so I think the conversation's more focused on is this a real threat or is this just hype or is this just you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think until that reality sits in, you won't see those kind of conversations. But I think I'm still afraid that even when it is real, it's not going to be the, you know, I remember after 9-11, it seemed like more and more people were getting saved then, and we probably will experience some of that, but it also says in the Bible, you know, we were talking about this, that it won't be. A lot of people still will not, they will not bow down until the the skies are scrolled and Mm -hmm. he, He tears it back and lets us see, and... Then everybody's gonna be running and hiding, but they're still going to be running away.
0: Yeah. And and I'm hoping you're right. I'm hoping that as as things move forward, maybe you will hear more and more people talking about this. But if you've ever looked for a starting point for sharing the gospel, this is I mean, this is a prime prime time to do that. I mean the way I think
1: this is just as much a a message for the believers too though. Like you know, of course, our mission, no matter where you're at, everybody's always wondering what your calling is from God. Our calling is to share the gospel and to get more souls saved, not that we can save them, but by sharing. Um, and so that is our, our mission and that is our calling. But this is also, I feel like, a wake up call for the believers. I mm-hmm. mean, everything, it's been a while since we talked, but everything we talked about is how the church has gotten lazy. Mm-hmm. I mean there's just no other word for it and it's just so interesting to me that the church doors are closing. Mm-hmm. And I mean that excites me. I know some people think that oh, that's just that's terrible and it is and you are supposed to gather together with believers and it's it's sad but man what a way that God could use this to really I mean if the church doors close and his people do what they're called to do anyways And I'm not saying putting yourself in danger or, you know, go. I think God gives us a brain too, but I don't know. I just think that he's... I see your point. I think maybe he's not happy with how the Western American church has been operating. It's not about a building.
0: Yeah. And um, we've built ourselves up so big and so fancy that we don't even really know what to do when we don't have the big fancy stuff. Yeah. So that brings us back, what I see in this scripture is, I see God using the world, an event in the world, created by the world, to attack the flesh, because Mm -hmm. God wants to kill the flesh so that we can hear Him. Mm -hmm. Because the Bible says that the flesh is at enmity with the Spirit, and The flesh and our carnal desires are are the thing, you know, again, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. That is a a definition of the flesh. The things that we want, that we crave, that we think we need, that, that are not godly. That is the fleshly part of us, the old man, the old nature Um, the selfish part of us that wants to try and control us. And as Christians, we have to try and crucify that every day and remind ourselves, I'm going to choose today to follow what God wants and not what my desires tell me. I tell our kids all the time, you can't go by your feelings. You have to go by what God says, because what God says is the truth and it will stand regardless of how you feel, regardless of how I feel. It's not that our feelings are invalid. It's just that we can't always trust them to make big decisions on. So, In this scripture, I see what's happening now. I see God taking the coronavirus, and I see Him allowing that to come against um, what we have always known, the things that make us comfortable. Um, Even if you want to get right down to um, our uh, financial system, both in America and the world, everything is being affected, and everything is being... um, basically, you know, come against and attacked by this plague, by this pestilence, this attacked the world. But why? Why would God do that? Well, the only answer is that God's desire, the same as in Jeremiah's day, why did God allow um, Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon to attack Israel? Because he wanted them to wake up. He wanted them to come back to Him, to seek Him for the answer. And I see God using this coronavirus to come and and to go against what we have placed our faith in, which is our human means and our human uh, inventions. But if you look, I mean, I, I've been saying this in recent days, too. I mean, we put a man on the moon in 1969 here it is 2020, and we can't stop this tiny little thing that you can't see unless you look at it under a microscope. I mean, we can't stop it. We're completely ill-prepared for it. Um, Yes, we can mitigate it, and we are doing that, and we will continue to do that. But just like the flu is not eradicated, and it never will be eradicated, and there will be a flu season every winter from here until Jesus does roll back the scroll, there will be a coronavirus season from now until, you know, the, the coronavirus will always pop up, whether it's in one person on the planet once a year. To uh, to say that we can eradicate the coronavirus is not backed by science. It's just not going to happen. Can we mitigate it and control it to where it's not a threat? Hopefully and possibly. But this is, not, this is not by happenstance. This is not um, God trying to let us see just how far we can push human innovation and, and uh, anything like that, this can be understood in no other way than to be a clear message from God to say, Number one, I want my people to wake up and take my word seriously mm-hmm. and follow me and let's let's do what I've asked you to do. This is not a game. This is not a Sunday school uh, once a week practice where you dress up and let's just see if your shoes look better than someone else's shoes. This is not, okay, uh, let's just act like we're saved and then go live like hell. This is like a call to action. This is God speaking clearly. Wake up. The time is near. Now's the time to fight. Now's the time to take me serious. That's for the believers. And for the non-believers, for the atheists, for people that have that just are of different religions, this is God proving to mankind that His scriptures are true, that God is not a liar, that everything that He said has come to pass and will come to pass. This has been talked about and foretold since... God created man, and he's been talking about the end. The Bible says that God tells the end from the beginning. I mean, all of this has been written about. This is God proving to the mankind that the scriptures are real. Amen. And that's the evangelism. If you get a chance to talk to somebody, ask them, what do you think about all this? And whatever their answer, listen. But if it doesn't go biblical, just say, you know, all of this is in the Bible. God said that all of this would begin to take place and it, go read it for yourself. Find me another book on planet Earth that says all of this is going to take place. Mm-hmm. There's not one. And I'm I constantly keep coming back to the emotion, why don't people see it? I don't understand. I mean, we if you surveyed the American population, I think it's like 70% of the people identify as Christian and probably 90% of those have a copy of the bible in their home. I mean, the scriptures are what they are. They've been there. It says it. Why help me, Elisa? Why don't people see it? Why? I don't understand.
1: Well, if if you go back to the symbol here about the world, Egypt attacking the Philistines, the flesh that's got to take place before you can spiritually see. You got to get That's true. You know, and I, and hopefully this will help us all to see not just, I mean, I think there's so much that God's about to show us.
0: But uh, you're right that if, if we, if we have, if we have, if we think we have an answer in ourselves, if we have a fleshly concoction, uh, a fleshly answer and solution, then we kind of evict God. Mm -hmm. And, I think that this shows more than ever that mankind does not have the answer. We don't. And we cannot control it. Mm -mm.
1: It is crazy. I I read somewhere, I don't know who, I think somebody posted it, so I'll have to look back so I can give you credit. But they said, um, you know, at the beginning of this year, every sermon was on 2020 perfect vision. (laughs) And, of course, nobody saw this coming, but um, maybe it is still part of His perfect vision for us. Mm-hmm. We know He's got the perfect vision. He's seen it very clearly. But maybe this is part of helping us see.
0: Amen. I think that is so wise. And to to close it for this short home edition of uh, of the 2R1 podcast, the title of How Much question mark. How much is it going to take you? How much revelation? How much world events? How much CNN, Fox News headlines? How much um, depravity, uh, fear, uh, lack of resolution? How much financial crisis and stress? How much, um, you know, kind of world struggle is it going to take you me us anyone to take what god says seriously how much is it going to take to make you be like you know what maybe i should maybe i should just give everything i've got to god and really follow him because obviously what he said is true i mean Mm -hmm. what is it going to take for you as an individual
1: Yeah, it reminds me, a couple of mornings ago, earlier in Jeremiah, you were sharing with us what you read about the king. You know, It wasn't just the people that came to Jeremiah asking what to do. The king before that had come and asked what to do. And he said, Jeremiah, help me, pray to to God, tell me what he says, and I'll do it. And of course he didn't listen, just like the people. And he ended up getting captured, getting his eyes gouged out. Mm -hmm. So it attacked the flesh, the very eyes, so that he could then see. I don't really know what happened to that Mm -hmm. king, but that's how we Mm -hmm. explain it to our children, and it's the same thing.
0: Yes, that's so good. That's so true. Sometimes you have to lose something to be able to see.
1: Even your eyes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, how that sounds so contradictory.
0: But that's the way God works. Remember, Mm -hmm. God, many times, we see it as him turning things upside down or doing things backwards, but he's actually doing it the Mm -hmm. right way or right side up. But how much is it going to take us as a people to wake up? Um, And I ask that question, knowing the answer. Mm -hmm. Now there will be people that do wake up people that say, you know what? I see all of this and I believe that God is getting ready. I believe that God is true and that everything he said is true. And so that means everything else he said is going to happen. So I want to be on his team and they surrender their life to him. But the Bible says that in the last days, that men will shake their fists at God, even in the face of tons of evidence that He is real, that that He is coming to judge the earth, men still choose darkness Mm -hmm. over light. Men still rebel. And and we know that the great and terrible day of the Lord, the second coming of Jesus, the rapture, however you want to classify it, we know that that cannot happen except there first be a great falling away. Mm -hmm. And the falling away that Paul talks about is not among non-believers. It's among believers. It's among lukewarm Christians that see things like the coronavirus and say to themselves, uh, that's just some Chinese people that didn't uh, that didn't handle their crisis right." I mean, if that could have been helped, or it's helped. Trump, yeah. or, it's, yeah, yes, or, it's, or it's that, and and they'll fix it, and we'll yeah. get it, and we'll be fine, and everything will be fine.
1: And it's not going to affect me, anyways. Yeah, some old people may die.
0: Yeah, right. <laughs> and we just we continually explain it away so when you when you read these amazing events that take place at the end times if you read the book of revelation as a believer you're thinking to yourself how can people still be like no this is not real how can people how can people convince themselves that none of this is actually taking place or that that the bible isn't true but we're witnessing that happen right now mm-hmm. i mean it's the same
1: a- thing when jesus walked i mean You know, the people that were there had been reading about it their entire life, you know, had been hearing about when the Messiah would come back and when He came, or when He came the first time, not back, but when He came, they didn't recognize it.
0: Because it was different than they thought Mm -hmm. it would be. And that's what this is. It's a little different than we thought it would be. Um, You know, in closing, one of the things that Mary and Lisa have talked about, the way I have to put this in perspective is, Imagine if you were to go back six months ago and talk to yourself and you said, okay, Taylor, six months from now, the entire world will be stopped. Markets will be in a tailspin. Um, Every student in America will be sent home. Um, People will be grounded and quarantined because of a global pandemic that threatens the world and modern society as we know it. Uh, the country of, um, help me, the one that's struggling so bad? Italy. Italy. You hear that, and, and if you told yourself six months ago these stories in Italy about how they're having to choose who lives and who dies because mm. of their lack of um, facilities and their lack of equipment, would you have believed yourself? Would you have believed that it, six months ago, six months from that point, your entire life would be different, that everything is going to just be stopped. Would you have believed it? I wouldn't have believed it. I would have believed that at some point it would have happened. But if you'd have told me six months and everything like this was going to happen, I would not have believed it. Hmm. But that's what happens. We're like the frog that gets put in a lukewarm uh, pot of water and it starts heating up and before long it's boiling and we don't realize it's boiling because we were gradually led into it. it. We're getting used to it. But if we were dropped in boiling water, we'd be like, Oh my gosh, Mm -hmm. it's the same way. So I guess in closing, we need a call to action, babe. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, I mean, I don't know. First of all, I kind of get how this is not a close at all, but I kind of get how people may would see this and still hold their fist up at God like I get that perspective because how could God let this happen you know if this is God's divine plan it doesn't make any sense to us you know so instead of like approaching that with you're so stupid for thinking that way I think we need to say yeah I know it sounds crazy but if you understand it and if you allow God to remove your eyes and give him your give him give his us eye. his eyes then there's comfort all of a sudden, you know, like instead of being fearful about what can happen, he takes that and he turns it into excitement. I mean, I really, yeah, there's times where my brain can go the wrong way and I get a little worried about what's to come. But at the end of the day, I'm like, gosh, this is really happening. And it's exciting. And we're living in it. And, you know, our kids are living in it and, and they just get to see it firsthand. And it's, I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say, other than it, it is exciting if you know where you belong and you know who's in control.
0: Yeah, Chad has it. There's a term for that, and he talked about it in his first book. Chad Harvey, who was the guest on the last podcast, he calls it. They call it the terminal generation. Are we the generation that will see Christ return? And when we see these things happen, you get excited. Oh my gosh! Yes, I think we might be. Mm-hmm. You know. So it's just like um, you know, tons of scripture, Old Testament. Revelation, the Bible talks all throughout about the day when God wraps everything up, and it's called the great... And the, terrible. Yeah, the awesome and terrible day of the Lord. But
1: terrible really means awesome.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, it just depends on the connotation. But <laughs> basically, it will be awesome, but it'll also be terrifying. Mm-hmm. And that's where we're at now. This is a terrifying thing that's happened, and, and but I it's think awesome that, should that be God's our moving. Approach
1: when we are presented that opportunity to use this as an evangelized moment is not... Yeah, it it, fear is a great motivator, but when you present the fear of what's happening today, then then it's also present the comfort of that of Mm -hmm. knowing, you know, if you walk with the Lord through this, then it's going to be so much better.
0: Yeah, and the way I'm looking at the evangelism is to show the credibility of God. That's really the angle that I'm taking. But you're right; at the end of the day. It is people. logical. Yeah. You know,
1: people don't think look at it as logic anymore, and it very much is logical.
0: Yeah. But you're right, though. People ultimately come to God um, when they're seeking refuge and, and comfort. And, and acceptance. And, and acceptance and restoration. That's ultimately what wins people to Christ. It's not fear tactics or fear-mongering. But the way I look at it is if you can see that God has proven himself to be true, in this, then when you read the rest of it, you're like, oh, my gosh, well, mm-hmm. then the rest of it is true. So that's going to wrap us up for tonight. We love you guys. And hopefully we can do some more of these because we are grounded as <laughs> we're public here. School we teachers. We are actually
1: doing what they advise us to do. Yeah, you know, We trust actually, yeah. God, but we are staying at home
0: because yeah, well.
1: we're trying to do our part. Why I don't? mean, why wouldn't Christians want to do their part?
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I, I wear my seatbelt too, right? Right. Yeah. You know, I mm-hmm. use, you're going to use oven mitts when you go get that I timer. Am. That's Our going off is the man. and it's I'm going to use some oven mitts. Why are you using oven mitts? Don't well, you trust God? I trust God? God. I mean, if not you trust God, you don't, <laughs> right? you don't get burned. You don't need I, oven mitts. Mm, mm,
1: mm, I guess I don't. Yeah. <laughs> <Mm-mm>. <laughs> <laughs> I will use oven mitts because God gave them to me. <laughs> there you go. He provided if he didn't provide that then i may not but he has provided this home and a safe place for us to stay and that's that's uh what i'm gonna do because i can now there's people who can't and they have to go to work and so the ones that can stay at home we're doing it for those that can't
0: yeah i that's, mean everybody needs to do the best they can to honor what is best for mm-hmm, the whole mm-hmm. and if you can't that god understands that but if you can and then he
1: will if he doesn't give you an oven mitt, he'll he'll protect you.
0: Amen. I, I just heard a new hashtag in my mind. Is God giving you an oven mitt? Hashtag God's oven mitts.
1: Mm-hmm. T-shirt. Dinner is ready. <laughs>
0: All right. We'll see you guys next time. God bless.